You are listening to Marquette University's COVID Convos podcast. In each episode, representatives from Marquette's STEM and humanities communities will bring you insights into the pandemic that you may be missing. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. The traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes, where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnick rivers meet and the people of Wisconsin's sovereign Anishabe, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Oneida, and Mohican nations remain present. So hello and welcome to the COVID Conversations podcast. My name is Leslie Knox and I teach in the Department of History here at Marquette as well as serve as part of our steering team for these podcasts. One of the episodes that from the very beginning of this initiative we wanted to make sure that we would record is one focused on undergraduate research because that's one of the things that we really feel Marquette does so well. There are a lot of different ways that students get involved in research at Marquette. Obviously, some classes have that as a direct component of it. Some students will get involved through taking a class. They'll learn about research their faculty is doing and wind up joining a lab or a clinic. Some will participate in programs like McNair Scholars or through the various components that the Honors Program runs, such as Honors in Humanities honors in the sciences, honors in nursing, various disciplinary honors programs. So in putting this together, we reached out to a whole bunch of different students, and we've had a lot of great responses. And we thought we'd start with just a couple intimate conversations that would let us find out more about what some of the students are doing, understand more about how the pandemic has impacted their studies, but also have an opportunity to reflect on some of the differences between fields. And I think some of you listening to this will say, wow, how did you decide to bring these two women together who are joining me here today? So I think it's going to be very clear by the end, but I'm going to turn it to them and ask them to introduce themselves with their name, their major, their hometown, and maybe a little bit of a description about their research interests. So Gretchen, maybe you could go first. For sure. Okay. I'm Gretchen. I'm a junior here at Marquette studying exercise physiology in the PT program. And I'm from New Lenox, Illinois. And what I am researching right now is right now I'm working on a study that's looking at the functional characteristics of COVID-19 survivors. So COVID-19, how survivors, how they're physically and psychologically affected by the virus. And yeah. Awesome. Thank you. And Brooke. My name is Brooke McArdle. I'm a senior majoring in classical languages and history. I am from Brookfield, Wisconsin. Currently, I am working on my senior thesis, which focuses on uh, Near Eastern motifs of hospitality and how we see those motifs reflected in Homer's Odyssey. So I think everybody listening just said, duh, well, now I see. There's a clear connection here between exercise, science, and classics and all of that. I think there are, perhaps not in terms of the topics that the two of you are pursuing immediately, but I think there's a lot of commonalities in the story. So, so Brooke, I mean, how, how did you get to Near Eastern hospitality? How did you start getting involved in research? 
So I started to get involved in research through many of my history classes when I decided that I wanted to commit to doctoral studies in classics. I started to really research more often and I actually visited the Oriental Institute at the University of Chicago my junior year when I was visiting a doctoral student there. And I was I was looking and seeing some of these cuneiform tablets and, and said to myself, I really want to learn how to translate that. So then I went to our ancient historian, Jen Finn, and asked her if she would help teach me Akkadian. And I think from there, the rest is history, because then I started working with cultural transmission, with cuneiform texts, but as well as like material culture and social and cu cultural changes. So that's kind of how I ended up where I am with my senior thesis. Oh, neat. Gretchen, how did, how did you get involved and pulled into the work you're doing? Yeah, so research was introduced to me when I was a sophomore, and they just introduced the Honors in Exercise Physiology program. And at first, I'm like, oh, I don't know if research is for me, but knowing myself, knowing, you know, my curious personality, <laughs> and my friend actually recommended that I give it a try. So I applied and I got in, which was great. But then trying, I'm currently in Dr. Hunter's lab and trying to get into her lab was a bit of a struggle. I'm not going to lie. The woman is so busy and, <laughs> and I actually met her in person at an HPRC. So like the Athletic and Human Performance Research Center on campus, there was an open house for that. And I was actually able to meet her in person and introduce myself there. And that's how I got involved. And ever since then, I've continue to work for her and work alongside her and it has been terrific. So, so what's interesting to me and hearing you two talk is there's this obvious thread about curiosity. There's something I kind of found out a little bit about it. Now I need to know more. And I think that's what really drives research. And I think that's really hard in some ways to explain. Like if, if when you're at Thanksgiving and Uncle Bob says to you, you know, what do you mean research? What is what are you doing for that? What are you doing really? How, how do you explain that to Uncle Bob? Oh, gosh, I thought about this so many times because <laughs> even just explaining research to my friends, like I never know what to say. But it's basically, you know, there's a really specific issue that you want to look further into and you're trying to find that answer as to why it is. So why do COVID survivors have like these long-term symptoms or, and it's doing a lot of background reading and a lot of, you know, lit reviews and putting an idea or a question you have into action to find an answer. So that's basically my general spiel about what I think research is. Brooke, do you have an Uncle Bob, too, who wants to know what it is you're doing? <laughs> like, yeah, actually. So I've experienced this a lot. I, I think because I do ancient studies, people are slightly confused when I tell them that I do research because I think innately we think research is connected to modern STEM fields. And when I tell them, no, like we take we take these old texts as philologists and we we analyze them. We look deeper than just a translation. Uh, we want to know what people in this culture in this time period were thinking and feeling and how they were viewing the changes that were happening around them, because this gives us 
a better worldview of who we are and where we are now, then it starts to click for them. So it's easier for them to see that connection. But I've had that question asked to me multiple times. So it resonates in my heart (laughs) dearly. Yeah, sort of that five-minute elevator pitch. And I mean, I bet Gretchen, I mean, I'm sure you get this as well. I mean, in a certain way, okay, COVID, that's important. But Are people surprised that as an undergraduate, you're helping to answer these questions? I'm not quite sure if they're surprised. I feel like the people that I've talked to are supportive. And I feel like unless you're fully invested in research, it's really hard to understand that process. But I also think that's something that I hope the university improves upon in the future, like helping undergrads understand research better. You know, the more I've involved, I've been involved, the more undergrads I've met through this and the more I've seen that, hey, this, you know, maybe this should be more normal in the future. Oh, gosh, that was kind of bad. I don't know. No, but but which I think that's really an important point because you're describing a process. And as I listen to the two of you talk, what really stands out to me are the similarities. So here's a question that I want to find out the answer to. And so maybe Brooke is reading in a cuneiform tablet and maybe you're looking at data of, you know, well, what are breathing rates or something after COVID. But to go about answering that, you've both had to develop particular skills. You spoke about doing background reading. I mean, I think that's something that, okay, no one's surprised maybe that a classicist or a history major is going to go read, but people who are in the health sciences are reading the lit reviews in the background. And then you're both using these research questions in your approach to really understand who are we here and now. I mean, Brooke, you said that, I thought, in a really kind of appealing way. You're studying perhaps Mesopotamian hospitality, but thinking about mentalities tells us something about ourselves. I don't know if you want to say more on that too, or? I think you covered that really nicely. (laughs) (laughs) So, well, I'm interested, I mean, beyond some of the process questions that we're kind of talking about, both of you also spoke about having sort of female mentors for this process, and you are also women. Has that been important for you? How how do you feel about being a woman in your field? I think traditionally classics is predominantly white male field. Being being a woman, but especially being a woman with a disability, I would consider myself a non-traditional student. So for me to have a female mentor was huge. I think, you know, there's, there's in academia, there is a general wave of imposter syndrome and various struggles, inner struggles that you have with your work and the things that you're putting out to be criticized. Um, so being able to have somebody who, who could hold you up, but also let you stand on your own 
was was really impactful. And I actually had the opportunity to submit an article and co-author an article with Dr. Finn that we submitted for peer review, which was an intense process. I don't think I would be the scholar I am today without that experience. Um, It helped me really dig deep into the heart of an argument, um, into the heart of primary and secondary source texts. And I really do think it made me a critical thinker and a problem solver. And some of the problems that I run into with my research today, I don't think I would be able to solve them without having that experience. Oh, great. Gretchen, how about you and working with Dr. Hunter? And I, you're part of a, a team of scholars in that lab, too, that also have a lot of women. Yeah, I have absolutely loved working with Dr. Hunter this past year. She is all for, you know, women taking a stand in STEM. And sometimes after we'll have a lab meeting, she'll just sit back and be like, look at us. Like, this is mostly women right here. Like, kind of admiring that and taking a step back and just taking a chance to embrace that, that sort of change. You know, in the past, like, STEM has been mostly male-dominated. But I also agree with what Brooke said and how she was saying how her mentor lets her stand by herself, because that's also something I feel like Dr. Hunter does very well with me. And I think that's also an important component of being in a mentor, not being overbearing, but not, you know, being too distant. And I think Dr. Hunter does does that really well. And that's why I love working with her. And one thing that she she always emphasizes in STEM and exercise phys research is, you know, not excluding the women from being participants because they're on their menstrual cycles or something. Like she said other things, like that's one note that I really like taking away from her. And she's always, you know, trying to get me involved. And I really appreciate that. And she has taught me how to use my voice well, you know, in a research setting where it may be mostly, you know, male dominated and not be afraid to, you know, stand up and say what I need to. And of course, you know, I need to work on that more because like I'm a junior and I'm still growing as an undergrad, but she's really helped facilitate that process. But both of you have, I think, really strong voices. You don't have the vocal fry that people often talk about with female voice, you know, where you go up at the end or the ums and all those things. And it's about confidence, right? You know, Brooke, you talked about going through peer review at a journal. What was that like? What kind of feedback did you get? Were you surprised by the level of critique or how did that work? Yeah, I mean, we actually, so we submitted it for peer review. It hasn't gone through peer review yet, but I guess I, I don't know if you want me to talk about a different article that I submitted and that was, so I, I don't work with material culture, but I was asked to write an article about a Stella that was, that is housed at Madison's art museum. Hmm. And having not done anything with Latin epigraphy, I did my background reading. I was intensely focused on sociocultural problems that I would run into with conventions concerning child burial. I was really humble in the fact that I this was not my wheelhouse. So when we submitted the article to a world-renowned journal for a peer review, I fully intended the comments to be pretty condescending, especially because it's to a German article and they tend to not downplay anything to make you feel better. 
And when we got the feedback, the the author was kind of like, okay, well, we have to take out like a lot of this, but we really would like like to see a shorter version of the piece. And the editor is really still interested in what we have to say. So, you know, I think it's important as as researchers to understand that we don't have all the answers. We're all working to try and find them. But ultimately, especially in a field so old as ancient studies, a lot of it's interpretive. So uh, you can't really give definitive answers to things like when exactly did Homer write the Odyssey and who is Homer, right? So we, we kind of have to work with a variety of assumptions. So I think that is a humbling factor for me to be able to set, step back from your work versus what you're working with. Mm, mm, I like that. That's a really neat way of thinking about scholarship. And, you know, I think a lot of people are afraid of peer review and, you know, certainly students, that's the part of class that they hate. And I think students have a very hard time often critiquing it because they see it as something that's negative. But what you're just is how scholarship is a conversation and how you're building upon the works that other people have done and you're adding something new and sometimes you're challenging others' interpretations or you're bringing in new evidence. Gretchen, I mean, how does that work in in your labs and clinics? I mean, I know you obviously will go through peer review when you go through publishing, but I mean, you're kind of doing that level of critique with your collaborators too, right? Right, and I think Peer review can definitely be scary at times. I'm not going to doubt that. But I think it's how you look at it and that, you know, this team is here to help support you and help help make you better and help make their work as a team better. So it's almost like everybody's bringing each other up. And it's not like, you know, they'll just completely say all these terrible things about your work. You know, they'll say, okay, you can change this or you can improve this. But also, you did a really great job of doing this. That. So just pointing out what you did well or what you can improve, something I've benefited from in working with research this summer. Just taking note of everybody's feedback on the team, you know, the PIs, the grad students and the undergrads alike. Like everybody has something to bring to the t- table and offer to help make your work better. So what is that like? being part of a research team or collaboration. I mean, Brooke and I sometimes, because of the nature of our field, will co-write something or we'll bring ideas, but there's a lot where we're sort of on our own in the library or something like that. What, what, tell us more. (laughs) For sure. I personally love working with the team when it comes to research because it allows you, you know, to get everybody's aspect like I said before and get everybody's ideas and it's been really beneficial in this project that we're working on now because there's so many tiny details involved in the study where if one person forgets something another person might remember it or like if one person says oh we need this piece of equipment or we need to do this differently Um, so I think working as a team just makes everything more foolproof and gel together nicely I don't know so yeah and Brooke, you've, you've been able to do it a little bit, which do you like being on your own more or working with others? I love both. I think it would it would depend on what the research project is, especially with ancient studies. It's so broad. Um, so like if I was doing philology, I would probably prefer to be on my own. But the article that I wrote with the material culture was nice to have somebody else who I could bounce ideas off of because I wasn't as familiar with that field. Mm hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's really the neat thing and to have more like interdisciplinary perspectives and just when somebody sees something that you don't quite see or the way to express it. That's that's such a luxury, I think, of research. Well, this is great. I mean, I feel like everything that you've been saying has made a case for why Marquette undergraduates should get involved in research in their fields. But do you have sort of a takeaway? I mean, Gretchen, you said, you know, a friend kind of persuaded you to sign up. How are you persuading friends to join in? I think research in general can just help anybody grow, no matter how old you are, but undergrads in particular, because it gives them a chance to sort of step out of that comfort zone, build better relationships with professors instead of just, you know, passively listening to a lecture. It gives them a chance to think on their own and think where the material they're learning came from and why it is the way it is. So I think it just really enriches the learning experience. And I feel like Personally, sometimes I feel like I'm ahead of my peers because I've had this experience. And that makes me wish that everybody was able to have this experience because it would just make the learning process um, so much more full. Yeah. Are you seeing yourself going on that? I mean, what's what do you think is going to be next for you? Really like working with research throughout college. I'm not sure what after college will bring because I'm currently going to school to become a PT. But the more I work with research, the more I'd like to incorporate both PT and research after college. So maybe try and do a bit of both. I'm not exactly sure how that will look at this point, but I'm very interested in pursuing that. Great. Brooke, what do you, what do you say to friends? How do you sell them um, getting involved? I, I think I one of the things that I love about research is that it can be your expression of how you feel about the field. It's it's your own way to make an indelible mark on the, all of the information you've taken in and, and thought about and then eventually bring a different perspective to a field, even if it's 2,000 years old, because that opinion is, is still really important. So I think the way that I would encourage people to do research would be so that they can critically analyze for themselves whatever field they're they're interested in. And I mean, ultimately, regardless of the field, I think that makes us better critical thinkers in our daily lives, which, I mean, that's an invaluable skill. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, with the stuff that you've been working on, did COVID interfere with you getting into the library, getting access to things? How did that work? Uh, so undergraduates couldn't go into the library over the summer, so that was very difficult. But fortunately, the things I did need, I was able to ILL, so that was really helpful. But yes, it COVID has definitely hindered the ability to use library resources in the summer more than now because once the library opened I I really just felt like a kid in a candy store like I could just run free and get everything I needed I had like my duffel bag and my list of everything I needed with the call numbers and I it was fantastic to be able to be back there and get everything I needed but it definitely did have an impact over the summer it was very challenging to request so many materials and not have them right where I could just walk into the library and get them. Sure. And you probably weren't able to travel to see things, you know, that are in different museum collections, if that becomes desirable. And 
Yep. And it also, I mean, COVID canceled some conference opportunities. So that was unfortunate, but that's okay. (laughs) No, and it's certainly continuing to. I mean, I've had to cancel this week for next summer. So it's certainly something we're facing longer term. I mean, Gretchen, I know you've faced that as well, though maybe not less into the library, but into labs and collaborations. Yeah, like Brooke said, you know, it's definitely harder to get access to things nowadays because of COVID. I wasn't able to get into the lab all summer, which was really hard because we were just in like the prep phase of research. So I guess it ended up being okay because I was just worried the IRB and other documents and like screening documents. So that stuff can all pretty much be done remotely. But since I've been able to get back into the lab a little bit now, it's been like really refreshing. And I didn't realize how much I missed like the hands-on work and just like being in the physical space with people and talking to people and seeing them face-to-face is sometimes a lot better than a, a Teams meeting. But, you know, we do the best that we can given the situation. Sure, sure. Well, for the last question I wanted to ask you, I'll start by sharing a secret. My superhero power is coming up with ways to spend other people's money. So how should, in this ideal world, how should Marquette support undergraduate research? And I mean that in terms of there might be, you know, more fiscal support for scholarships or conferences or something like that. But what are just also maybe some emotional or intellectual supports you would like to see in the university for this? So I don't know who wants to go first. Yeah, I can say something really quick. I think one way that would be that research can be advertised to undergrads is just having the professors mention it more. Like in the beginning of the semester, say, you know, research may seem like a foreign concept to you, but if you're interested, you know, don't be afraid to reach out to me if that professor can't do research and, you know, be able to put them in contact with someone else that might be able to mentor them and just developing those connections and getting kind of allowing them to like dip their foot in the water and get a feel for it. I think it could be really beneficial just talking about it more and not leaving it in a separate sphere. And talking doesn't cost money. That's a good one. (laughs) True. I think going off of what Gretchen said In addition to professors talking about it, I think it would be awesome if we could have like a research seminar, but not field related. If the seminar could just be about how to integrate uh, your source material, whether that's secondary sources or primary sources, because I think sometimes in undergraduate writing, students struggle with that because it's hard to get your own thesis out there while also figuring out how to incorporate so many other arguments into your own. So I think that would be a really beneficial way, whether that's like through the writing sample or through the departments, or I'm sorry, through the writing center. I'm thinking about my grad school applications too much. Whether that's through the writing center or individual departments, I think that would be a great way for students to feel less scared and intimidated by the work that research by the work that research is, essentially. Cool. Do you guys have ideas how we could elevate even more some of the work that people like you are doing at Marquette? Well, over the summer, well, actually, no, it wasn't over the summer. It was the beginning of the school year. They were able to have, like, the COVID-19 research town hall. But I really don't know how many undergrads heard about that. 
or were able to make it. And I understand that because, you know, undergrads are busy. They have classes. They have worries of their own. Undergrads getting other undergrads excited about research might be a good instead of hearing about it on like a Marquette news page or something like that. I'm not really sure how we would go about doing that. But I think word of mouth is a good place to start. (laughs) Well, that's a neat idea. And I'm thinking, you know, what you all in the STEM fields and health sciences have that we have less in the humanities and even to some extent the social sciences are some of those networks of scholars. And so building the equivalent, like a classics lab or an ancient history lab or something that's bringing people together. So it's not just faculty mentoring students, but here are the seniors and juniors mentoring the first and the second years and maybe getting them involved with some things. That could be really, really fun and cool. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, especially in classics, our classes are are small. So everyone in our in our cohorts, we all know each other. So, you know, as a senior having classics courses with freshmen who are really interested in classics because they took Latin in high school or because they loved their ancient history class or because they love reading Percy Jackson, you know, having those students and giving them an avenue with which to ask questions, uh, because if faculty have their hands full with their teaching load and their research load and they can't necessarily cater to students who want to research with them, having other students guide them in the process. Yeah. All right. We got we got actionable ideas here. So this is great. Well, I want to thank both of you so much for taking the time for talking with me and for talking with our audience. I think this is going to get other people excited. And I mean, one of our hopes is that people might, you know, play this in class. And so for students who might be interested in research, we've got an episode um, to share with them. And I know you've got friends who are involved in research too. So please tell them to reach out. They'd maybe like to come and talk with us as well because the podcast will be continuing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of COVID Convos. You can learn more about this podcast and the research being done at Marquette University by visiting the research and innovation website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at covidconvos at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is Phase 2 by Zylo Zyko.